HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's March 29th, 2016. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 in the Good Beer Seal. And today it's a, we're celebrating Orval, Orval Day was just this past weekend. And we got Dave Rodriguez from Merchant Devin. Welcome to the show, man. How you doing, everyone? You know, we're going to talk about Orval today and the different incarnations and derivatives of it in the world of beer and... But Sarah, how are you? I am so excited for this show. This is one of my favorite beers ever, and he just pulled out a vertical lineup that I'm just So we got thrilled. some world travels. We got Warren Montero, a.k.a. Beer Sensei, and Tony Forder from Ale Street News, and Michael Opolensky from Be United. And what are we going to do? And we're we're going to yes. talk about, start off with what Orval is, and, and if, you, if you go to a bar in Antwerp, or you go to the, the, the monastery in, in Orval, what, what would you be doing, and how, how would they taste us? Because... Orval's a real kind of complicated beer, and I'm still not sold on it as being such a great beer. What? <laughs> nice way to start off, Jimmy. I appreciate that. Uh, I guess the most important thing to <laughs> most important thing to to make note is that Orval's a, a Trappist uh, beer. Uh, basically, what is a Trappist a beer? I got a reaction out of you guys. Yeah, you did. Uh, a Trappist beer is uh, there's 11 Trappist breweries in the world. Uh, uh, most of them are located in Europe, although there is one here in the United States, in Massachusetts. Uh, basically, there are certain criteria that will make you a Trappist brewery. Uh, the, bre- the beer itself has to be produced within the walls of a monastery. Uh, the monastery or abbey has to be for nonprofit. So any monies made from the sale of the beer has to go towards the sustaining of the monastery and charities if there's an excess amount of money that they don't you know necessarily need for themselves uh and the monks need to be a part of the brewing process whether that's hands-on and brewing themselves 
in the brewing operation or overseeing uh, laymen, laymen that are involved with operating the brewery facilities. So uh, Orval is one of the originals uh, from Belgium. Uh, it's located in southern Belgium, very close to France in the Ardennes area, which is uh, very famous for World War II. Uh, a lot of battles occurred during that time in that area. And Orval itself, uh, the monastery has been around since uh, 1070 A.D., which is quite – it's almost as old as you, Jimmy, I think, right? Yes. Oh. we got some old guys in the room, too. So uh, let's talk about so, – so Warren and Tony, you guys through Ale Street News and your own travels, um, you know, you've been to Belgium. Quite, tell us a little bit about that part of Belgium and what, what Orval's about. Yeah, well, we've been to – I think we're coming up on our 17th annual trip to Belgium. This will be the fourth time that we've been to Orval. And um, as Dave was saying, uh, down in the Ardennes area, we usually combine a trip to La Chouffe, which is a favorite place to visit. But just when you go to the the area of Orval, the the, um, the the sanctity of the place and the peacefulness, you can walk around the grounds. They give you a great tour. They've got a very modern brewery they installed about eight years ago. Uh, the new buildings there, I believe, were built. The whole place went through a resurrection in the 40s, I think it was. And uh, Beer Sensei? Yeah, well, you actually can do a religious retreat there, I think, for either a week or two weeks. Uh, clear the old head out and still drink some of this wonderful beer. They have a house beer, which is uh, quite a bit weaker than the regular. Regular Oval is what, 6-2 now? 6-7. 6-7? Six, 6-9. Seven. Six, seven? Six, six, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, this is, you know, foreign change and uh, has a little green... Uh, green glass that you get, a uh, green logo on the glass that you get, but it tastes exactly the same, just a little lighter. Absolutely a, delicious. Yeah. A little interesting history on the uh, the Petit Orval, which is bottled in a green bottle, as uh, Greg had mentioned, and also, uh, as Warren has mentioned, and also the only version that you find in draft was that uh, it was the beer that was brewed during World War II. Uh, Orval didn't uh, stop operation during World War II. The Germans let it continue to operate but they required that the uh, ABV on the Orval be reduced to somewhere around almost 2% alcohol. Uh, after World War II, they decided to uh, release that to consumers, and consumers really didn't care for it compared to the original Orval. So they decided to just keep it in-house as a table beer. And the label green was because of the fact that brown bottles weren't available during World War II, and only green, cheaper green bottles were available. So that's how they bottled it, and that's where it got the distinction of being called uh, green Orval. And right. they only serve it at their relatively new restaurant, Lounge Guardian, Guardian Angel. And uh, we are, um, our group is going to visit Orval this year. We're leaving on April 17th, and uh, we will be visiting the restaurant there and tasting the Orval Green for me the first time. I mean, I, I know that, you know, great writers like Michael Jackson have said good things about Orval. I haven't really had it that much myself, and I know some of us are having American craft beers. Um, and what you want to talk about? Yeah, you what know, it's like for you? I just I think it's just for me personally, all around, pretty much a perfect beer. I mean, it's dry enough. There's hints. It's sweet enough. You know, it's carbonated enough, low enough alcohol, but high enough alcohol. I mean, it's kind of like hits every every facet, you know, of, of what you're looking for. And I, I'm just never not in the mood for it. And you know, when I was in Belgium, one of the biggest takeaways, you know, a lot of the beers in Belgium 
are meant for, you know, they export. So we get a lot of things in the States that, that are there. But is so many great beer bars had the vertical Orvals on the menu, you know, different years. And you could taste the way it ages. And it's kind of interesting that it goes against all of the steadfast rules about aging beer. You know, it's not super dark. It's not overly strong. I mean, it's bottle, from, bottle conditioned, but, but still it ages unbelievably well. And I've had some six, seven years old that... You know, it's not. They're just in impeccable so condition. That's that's how we're going to taste it then, right? We're going to we're going to yeah. taste it in. What order are we going to taste it in? What Dave? do you think? I would think to go backwards. I, I think we should try uh, the freshest one yeah. first and uh, work our way back in that in that All way. Right, so let's make that the theme of our show. You you keep us going, Damon and Michael Opolensky. Another guy I respect you a lot. You're well traveled. You went to school in Italy, Thanks, representing Johnny. B United. I said something about Orval, and your face kind of lit up. Oh yeah, I mean. Um, this is one of the first beers that really brought me personally into the world of craft beer. Um, I think what's so special about it is it's kind of considered the black sheep, in a way, of the, of the Trappist breweries. I mean, of all the other Trappist breweries, I think they're the only one that uh, brew only one beer. Just the, or, I mean, with the exception of the Petit Orval, which is consumed only at the monastery. Uh, the Orval that we're drinking right now and the one that's available to the public outside of the monastery itself is the only beer that Orval releases. Um, what also makes it unique is the um, the addition of Britannomyces into uh, the secondary and and that bottling. So um, as opposed to the, all the other Trappist breweries, which have a real distinct Abbey style, um, they're brewing you know um, doubles and triples, really classic uh, Belgian styles. The Orval has this touch of acidity. It has this funky note to it that especially um, builds with aging. It really makes it um, a, a unique uh, beer in the Trappist book. Tony? Uh, yeah, exactly right. Um, if you can make one beer this well, you know, why not just stick to one, I guess, this is the way they see it. Um, but they've been making it for several years. It has the unique Skittle-shaped bottle. Um, and um, I guess it was Michael Jackson that really took a shine to it, one of his five-star beers um, that he rated in, in the world, one of the few five-star. But it can, it can really um, fulfill a number of... Um, Scenario is, you know, it's a great uh, first beer, aperitif, refresher. I mean, you can drink it with a variety of foods. Um, it's it's a good nightcapper, too. It's very versatile. I'll tell you, it's, it's amazing how far we've come. Just 35 years ago, Saison uh, de Pont was like kind of rediscovered and saved from extinction. And, you know, Michael Jackson was writing back then, and he wrote, uh, They don't talk about it much, but Trappist monks have been brewing good, strong beer for ages. And it's funny that to, 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 when he said that, whatever, 30, 35 years ago, that was probably an interesting statement. I feel like that everyone knows about Belgian beers, but, but I'm, I'm realizing that they don't, which is why we're doing the show, too, to talk about, you know, one, one of the... We've wanted to do an Orval show for a long time, so it's great to have you on, Dave. But talk, you. talk us through the tasting now. So this is a fresh, fairly young Orval. I would say it's fairly young. It's from uh, October 2015. Uh, so uh, I haven't tasted it yet, but give me a second here. With a with very young Orval, you tend to get a lot of bitterness from it. Um, they very unique, as Mike was saying, to other Trappist breweries and Belgian breweries in general. Uh, they dry hop using whole leaf hops. Um, it's something that they picked up from one of their earlier uh, brewers that had trained in England. 
and he kind of transferred that dry hopping style over to them. Um, it's an interesting history of various breweries. Their first official brewmaster was from Germany, uh, so they always say that guy definitely didn't bring the dry hopping over. So they they claim that it's the uh, one of the uh, uh, second brewers that they had that did the dry hopping. Um, but also unique is that they use a combination of anywhere from seven to ten different types of yeast in this beer, and they use three different fermentation processes throughout the the brewing process so uh you really it starts to take on a very unique quality but the one quality definitely of a young orval is the level of bitterness and the hot floral aroma that you get out of it you know some some of the these great like abbey monasteries in in, uh, belgium i was looking at the merchant of insight you've got a video of, of orval making beer it looks like a museum there's all these big copper stills and you know, guys sitting there watching the liquid flow and, and this yeast bubbling up. And is it like a museum? But it's, it's not a museum. It's a, truly a really fascinating place, as as these gentlemen have seen um, themselves. Uh, unfortunately, not everyone can just go to the brewery itself. Uh, anyone can visit the ruins at Oval. Um, it's quite a tourist destination. Um, and they have an actual brewery museum on those premises that is quite interesting. You get to witness it's all the old brew kettles that they've cut out and have these uh, interactive videos. So it's really uh, a really neat place to, to go and check out. Um, but if you do get the opportunity to visit the brewery itself it's somewhat of a museum it's uh the even though the the brewing equipment it has been modernized um you see you see a lot of remnants of the old brewery within i mean and old i mean the fact that the brewery was created around 1931 so it's not as old as let's say some of the other trappist breweries such as westmall rochefort chimay um the brewery was created to to fund the creation and the reconstruction of the Abbey. So it's a bit different than your other Trappist breweries like the Black Sheep that you say, Mike, pretty much, you know, like yeah. it's, 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 you know, even, even Orval itself didn't always consider itself like a true Trappist brewery because it, it, it was created with a purpose in mind and not just a process. And what do you taste? I mean, this is great. It's kind of like, it's like a bread IPA. Well, you know, it's funny too. I use this as a great example because I think especially now that craft beer is getting so big, right? The Brett, 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 Brett's everywhere, but a lot of people still don't know what it is. They still think that Brett sours beer and that that's what it is. And so they'll see something with Brett and say, this isn't sour. So I use this as an example a lot with training or, you know, with introduce, introducing people to this, to this beer and to say, listen, you know, you can taste that really fruity, you know, dry, funky character from the Brett, but it's not a sour beer. And it's like a great example of like introducing people to that yeast strain. Right? I, yeah, I agree with Anne a hundred percent. I mean, if you if you really want, even though there is other wild yeast like Saccharomyces in this beer, Brett Brettomyces is the one true uh, yeast that is last put into this beer and is everlasting. It's constantly it's what's causing this beer to to change uh, throughout you know you know the time that you have it cellared. Um, they they call it the I believe uh, the pronunciation is Gout uh, de Orval, which is basically the essence or taste of Orval, which is what pretty much uh, the the Brettomyces is what does cause that change and and it's a pale beer. It's a pale ale. Um, you know, which is a great foundation if if, if you want to showcase something such as a, a yeast as Brettomyces. So it's a great learning beer. 
um, Warren, you know, when you're going on your travels, you know, you've been around the world drinking beer, you know, a neophyte like someone like myself, how would you explain Orval to me? Uh, <clears throat> well, I would say that uh, I could almost call it an entry-level Trappist beer, only because I had my first Orval, uh, I was sitting in Ostend waiting for the hydrofoil and had it with oysters, and it was spectacular. I didn't know enough to figure out how old it was or anything, but it was just right. I suspect it was a new one, so I still remember the first nose on it, and that wonderful dry nose, and what a little bit is left of what I believe are sow's hops, is it sow's yeah. yeah, and um, <clears throat> it's just something you never really forget. Yeah, get your nose in there, Jeremy. Come on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, let's, we're we're going to put our nose in the glass. And we'll take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Well, we're, we're kind of talking about what beer to taste next. It's, it's, we're talking about Orval right now. So, so um, what's the proper tasting? We just tasted a fairly new, what, October 2015. Yeah, about six months old. And then what, what, what would we taste next? Well, if you're in Antwerp, they would then give you one that's a year old and follow that with a year and a half. Uh, anything older than that, all bets are off, I think. It's just going to be a great beer, but you're going to have to find it. Yeah. <laughs> what what uh, Warren is uh, a lot of bars, not a lot of bars, it's still a, a distinct honor. Uh, Orval uh, uh, will endow certain bars that are truly uh, ambassadors of Orval with ambassadorship. And basically, those are the locations, those are the uh, restaurants and bars that you can go to. And they'll have what they call Oud Orval, which is old version of Orval. And uh, from what I've seen, it's uh, you have it in four different ways. Uh, you have uh, Orval that's uh, less than a year old, Orval that's over a year old, and then uh, f- you know two different serving temperatures, cellar, and then a bit colder. So uh, we have seven of those bars here in the United States, and that's a very distinct honor. It's a, it's a true dedication to uh, how you serve do, Orval. Do you know the names of those bars? Uh, or we can uh, find out later. Uh, off the top of uh, off the top of my head, Public House in Boston, Monk's Cafe in Washington. Uh, in Philly? Philly, yeah. Philly. In, in Philly, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, a Tornado in San Francisco. Uh, uh, Licking Lizard, I believe, in uh, Cleveland, and a few others here and there. Another one in Atlanta. So. Winking Lizard. Yeah, that's good to know, man. Winking, um, <laughs> Linking Lizard. So what are we tasting Sorry next? About that what, one. What's our next... Uh, <laughs> What's the next one? Guys- next one we're tasting is from uh, September 2014. Uh, so it's a nice, well-aged uh, Orval. Over here. Let's get some of that out there. And then, and Michael, we asked you when you came on the show. Yes, you, you were bringing beers that were inspired by Orval. Yeah, why don't you tell us about some some of the beers that, that you'll be tasting with us tonight? Sure, um, I brought uh, two different beers. Uh, both are from Italy. 
the first um, was actually a beer that was designed with Orval specifically in mind. Uh, it's from a brewery called Birificio del Ducato. Uh, they're uh, from just outside of uh, Parma in um, central eastern Italy. Uh, Orval was one beer that um, really inspired Giovanni, the head brewmaster there, um, when he first started drinking beers in his youth. Uh, back then, which I guess we could say was in the, the mid to early 90s, that there wasn't a ton of um, quality craft or artisanal uh, beers available in Italy in general. Uh, you can really consider like some of the German brewers. I know Augustiner was available there, breweries like Schneider. Um, and then from the Belgian book, uh, you had some of the classic Abbey Ales and then the Trappists. And this was kind of the, the small handbag that... Um, that beer connoisseurs had to, to drink from if they were trying to drink in the country proper. Um, so Orval was one of these few beers that had this distinct dryness, this Brett character, um, this uh, tartness that um, that most other beers um, in, in the country really didn't have. I mean, there was no lambics that were that were brewed there, and by no means is Orval a, um, a lambic, but uh, still these notes of Brett were, um, were found specifically in Orval. Um, so this was one beer that really influenced uh, Giovanni as he was um, establishing his brewery. They opened in 2007. And, uh, and so eventually, once he started, um, I think it was about in 2011, he began to experiment a little more with mixed fermentation using um, bacteria and Britannomyces in, uh, in the fermentation process. Um, that he wanted to brew a beer that was specifically inspired by Raval, so he came so up with the Ville Ville. The Ville Ville. It says Italian Saison. How, how, you know, using this these similar yeasts, what's the difference between Orval and a Saison if you're using a similar yeast? I mean, anyone give that a stab? Well, I would say with certain Saisons, they probably would use some wheat malts. I don't know if they do. They do not, no. They do not. Um the other part I would say is clarity. Uh, usually, some saisons are a little bit more on the hazy side right. than Orval, which is pretty much completely clear. Um, but uh, I would say also the ABV. Well, depending, uh, what's the ABV on yours? Ooh, we have to check the bottle. Okay. I, <laughs> I think it's in the sixes, but we'd have to double check. Yeah, I mean, but your brewing process. I mean, the brewing process for Orval is so unique. And so specific. And I feel like with the Saison, I mean, it's such a loosely defined category anyway, you know, that it's like, okay, I'm sure that certain Saisons might have a lot in common with, with Orval, but at the same time, you know. Others might it's, not. Others it's, might not, right, exactly. Yeah. So Brewing temperatures, all the whole process in itself, uh, as Anne stated, with Orval, it's a very unique process. Uh, um, you know, if you look at the cap, it says ale, which it doesn't, you know, it's very much in reference to the English style of higher temperature brewing uh, in the initial boil. So that's a that's a unique characteristic of it itself. Yeah, and also the esters are all being produced by the combination of the yeast and the malt. There's no orange peel. There's no coriander, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I could see some people uh, describing this as a saison and a blind tasting. You know, it could it could throw you for yeah, a loop there. Yeah, and then so now we're tasting so a, a beer that's over a year old, September two thousand fourteen or evolved. This is March two thousand sixteen. Um, it's a very different beer, and uh, yeah, it's I mean it's just so much rounder, it's softer. You know, you don't really get that pungentness, but it's it's just equally as complex. I mean, I don't think so. The bitterness is gone. I mean, it's 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 not as pronounced, I would say, but it's definitely there as a balancer. I mean, it doesn't go away, but it's 
less bracing. At least for myself, you definitely don't get that uh, tingling mm-hmm. feeling that you would that you're you were getting from the uh, the younger Orval. Uh, but you're not quite getting all that that potency from the Brennamyces, and I would imagine that something a little older, that's where that would start to showcase. I do have a bottle of uh, July of that same year. I'm intrigued to, to see what what changed between two months. Yeah. And, and every, everything is also about, you know, how do you keep the beer? Uh, Orval recommends if you're going to cellar any of the beer do not keep it in the refrigerator because that definitely uh causes the bretomyces yeast to slow down so you definitely and it's already a slow yeast as it is so you definitely want to let it work but so keep at, it- at those special places like monk's cafe in philly public house in boston tornado in san francisco would they serve you the three different beers of different ages the four, it, it would be the four, four different beers yeah and they would they definitely have they definitely have Udorval in on on their menus and uh, in in those places in particular during Orval Day uh, a lot of pictures you saw they they were bringing those out. Tell us about you, you just had Orval Day in New York the other day, March twenty sixth. How extensive was that? Was it nationwide? It was nationwide. It was the first annual. Uh, it's the first year that we decided to do it. This was a, a program that one of our regional managers was doing in his in his area and he saw this the success the popularity the the love for the beer so we decided to to give it a shot why not you should do it every year did you do it anyway? yeah we're gonna oh yeah <laughs> yeah we, we, we had a lot of we had a lot of we had a lot of last minute bars that wanted to participate so it's definitely there's a learning curve there for us all but it was uh it was exciting to experience it was exciting to see everybody across the nation uh you know using social media and a hashtag oval day 2016 and posting their pictures and showing you know you know just a point of love that everyone has to this beer that you know chances are was one of the earliest beers they had and, and caused them to get into good craft beer yeah, I just put a picture on Instagram, and it was like all the beer people of New York, you know, Patrick Doniger, Mark from Lagunitas, everyone say, oh, Orval's my favorite, my favorite. I mean, people still get so excited about this, even though we're inundated by all these new styles. I love that. I love it. And this this is outstanding, yeah, by the um, way. Michael's going to pop the um, Del Ducato, the, the Veil Veal. And Tony, you're dying to say something, but don't you can't pitch your tour. you got to tell me about your experience no, with Orval. This is, um, this is Orval by Haiku. Excuse me. Uh, Brett, hops, tart, bitter, the complex simplicity of Golden Valley. Now, you know the legend of Orval? No, tell us, Tony. Well, um... Can you read that one more time? That was pretty awesome. (laughs) Okay. This actually does sum up what the beer is. That's how I think. I think in haiku. Brett, hops, tart, bitter, the complex simplicity of Golden Valley. So, Matilda, who... um, came in from Spain, Queen Matilda, I, be- I believe, settled there, was invited to that part of Belgium, um, and uh, she had this wedding ring, gold ring, and she lost it, and she prayed to find it, and this trout came up out of the stream with the ring in its mouth, which is why you have the trout and with the ring in its mouth on the label of Orval. Didn't and, it turn into a prince or something? And she or was said, that just and she said, uh, <laughs> she said, this really is a golden valley. So they called it. I never Val. noticed there was a trout, and I never noticed there was a gold ring, but now I did. It's right on the label. Or is golden French? So it's Orval. Well, I, I did valley read the Merchant of Insight before the show. It's all on there. The myth of Orval. It's pretty good. So the Golden Valley. What is the Golden Valley? That's where it's located. That's the va- uh, Orval. Is uh, 
Valley d'Or. Or is gold in French, so that's that's and it is a beautiful area. Um, but Dave, is it true that f- that for many years there was no brewery? Um, there's always been a brewery on the premise at at Orval, never commercial, uh, but hist- historically. Um, it's it's unknown, you know, what exactly when they had a brewery there. Uh, the only documentation that really exists is the fact that uh, Orval developed the brewery in 1931 to uh, reconstruct the build out of the new abbey over the old ruins of the uh, the previous one. That's definitely one thing. I mean, comparing American craft brewery, which we're celebrating 20, 25 anniversaries of certain American breweries, to these, what, monasteries that are, what, over a 1,000 years old. It's very different. Uh, Michael, so we're now we're, we're tasting the Del Ducato, the yeah, Vale right. Ville. The, yeah, Ville Ville means Ville old Ville. town. So an homage to, like, the old school saisons uh, and styles from Belgium. And as I said, this is really a, a beer inspired uh, by Orval. The, as far as the brewing goes, very simple saison recipe is the base. So uh, Pilsner malt, they use uh, poppering hops, and a Belgian saison yeast conducts the primary fermentation. It then goes into stainless steel tanks. I think he keeps it in there for about seven months when uh, he pitches Britannomyces. Uh, it's in there for seven months, and then adds a little bit of priming sugar and uh, goes into the bottle. He usually keeps the bottles in-house for a few months just to make sure that uh, the um, bottle refermentation is uh, properly finished and then releases them into the market. What we're tasting now is actually brewed in 2013. It's much tangier. I mean, yeah, it's, it's very a nice. yeah. super tart. A little more know. sour going on. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so there's no lacto... Uh, no, there's no lacto added. It's just bread. Like right? I, I would have guessed that too. Yeah, there's there certainly. Oh, no. You know, Michael, you're, you're really pretty much the the real main ambassador of Italian craft beer in New York. And cheers to you, man. Cheers. Yeah, but you're lucky. So you went to you went to college there, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. I was uh, I went to school um, in Northwest Italy. Studied like, food essentially for uh, for three years when I got out of college in America. Well, that just sounds terrible. <laughs> Goodness, <laughs> but you know, th- th- this is—it's like—it's so great to taste this beer against the Orval too. I mean, they're like—they are like expressions of a similar, you know, origin. You yeah, know? but I like yeah. that they're individual, and it's like—do you remember when Green Flash did their their um, Rayon Vert? Rayon Vert, yeah. right? And it was there, and it's so funny because they really took that and put their spin on it, which was hoppier, you know, much more California version. Well, and this is like—that's a play on the Orval too. No, absolutely. Oh. Yeah, that was oh, inspired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you have uh, obviously most people know Matilda from Goose Island was a homage to Orval. Orval uses multiple uh, malts, right? And they obviously had candy sugar too. They just use two pale uh, malts, and uh, they do use liquid candy sugar. Okay, yeah. So Warren, go, going down memory lane, let's tell us about another Belgian brewery or abbey or bar you went into one of your first experiences oh why well it would have had to be the bruges bear most likely uh michael jackson uh, sent me there i think it's about 1991 my first trip to uh, belgium and uh i kind of moved in you know for a few days <laughs> got to know daisy and uh it's actually a pretty good story the first time i went in i wanted to get of course the fabled west blader and abbott and uh I asked Daisy, uh, do you have it? And she says, uh, yes. And I said, well, can I get one? She said, no, can't have it. I said, why? Uh, nicely not. And she said, because he's using the only glass. And, of course, Jackson was sitting back in the corner <laughs> laughing at me. 
And then what about sights and smells That's of that, such of a that great bar? bar? Oh, my God, I love it there. <laughs> oh, well, it's, uh, it's just your classic cafe. I've, I go in there. I'm there three times a year easily visiting. And uh, I pretty much know everybody now. She'll hold the back room for Hale Street News, you yes, know, uh, if, if we time out properly. Daisy's good friend. The spaghetti bolognese doesn't suck either. Not anymore. <laughs> they cut the spaghetti bolognese. Don't have it anymore. Oh, what? No, no. Went off the menu six months ago. Yeah. What? Have That's, you been there, Ann? Yeah, it's a fantastic, fantastic What's it called park? again? Bruges de Bircha. And what town is that in? That's in Bruges. Bruges, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Yeah. means the little Bruges bear. Yeah. Love that. Learn a little bit about Belgian beer. I'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. In 1996, Elknife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's haiku and flute tonight with Orval, inspired by the monks of the Golden Valley. Hops, streams, trout-saving rings, Golden Valley. <laughs> Orval has so much history behind it. And my friend Tony will keep playing flute all night if you want him to. But hey, we're drinking beer right now, so we're, dr- we're drinking uh, different vintages of, of Orval. We started with with Young, and we went to like a, over a year. And uh, Dave, uh, what's the next Orval we're drinking? You don't need your headphones to talk. Right? Next Orval <laughs> is uh, July 2014, uh, which I'm yet to taste. I did pour myself one, and there we go. Uh, Let's give this one. So, a try. In, in terms of like storing these beers, so you said there's cer- there's certain bars in in Belgium and in America where they get to serve you know several different vintages of, of the beer, and they're honored and recognized for that. Um, how do you keep these these bottles? You know, so this is what almost two years old. Does it have to be in a certain proper condition or in a you know temperature control? I, I try to keep them in a dark uh, place, uh, closet. I do live in an apartment and. You know, not everybody has a, a cellar room, but uh, seems to keep up uh, nice and cool. Uh, but it, with, it should be cool, or, or should they it should be on should the cool part, but not refrigerated. The refrigeration, having them in a refrigerator, definitely slows down the whole process. And you know, but then again, you know, that's that that'll be a different experience that you end up having. It's not saying that it's a bad thing. It just slows down the Brettanomyces extremely more than it would usually. So you you know you might have a funkier beer if it's three years old versus if it 
kept in the refrigerator, uh, not as funky. So, and what do you, what do you, we just had the September 2014. I mean, can you tell the difference between them? I haven't gotten oh, the other one yet. Uh-oh. Oh, that's, that's yours. Oh, but that's okay. We'll figure it out. I'll yeah. pass it down. But let's let Annie taste it and let's see. But um, I want to say this, and I want to ask everybody here. You know, I feel like when I started drinking, you know, good beers, craft beers, I was always drinking Belgian, and, and I feel like it's come full circle, and, and we're drinking a lot of American craft beer. But what is it going to take to get, uh, you know, the next generation of American craft beer drinkers interested in Belgian beers? And that's kind of a question for everybody. Let them taste them. I mean, it really doesn't take much, and I think. Right, you guys, it's just like once you taste it, I mean, the beer speaks for itself, but I also think there's a a weird cool factor happening now where it's like the next thing, no matter what it is, even if it's not good, you know, I just have to say that I had it. And it's like that chasing whatever's new, I think is going to die out. I think people are going to go for quality. Because I know you sell a lot of Belgian beer. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also about like dipping back into the, especially with the beer like Orval, um, dipping back into the classics. I mean, uh, (coughs) what? 25 years ago, there wasn't that much poking around in the American market, and uh, it was these guys, the the Belgians and the Germans and the English, that were maintaining a unique character in the beer world, and uh, there's a lot to say for that. Dave? Um, I say one beer drinker at a time. (laughs) I try to do as many tastings as I can. Uh, That's part of the process of educating, of creating knowledge for folks that might have heard of Orval but haven't had it or haven't had it in over 10 years or something like that. But, um, you know, definitely it's it's a process. It's hard. Um, it's tough when you 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 meet uh, current craft beer drinkers that uh, obviously have good knowledge but have never tasted something of a classic beer like Orval or Schneider or, you know, so many breweries out there that's, you know, the list is quite long. And it's disheartening, but you you just have to do it. You know, Dave, you guys at, at Merchant Van, you guys represent some really great brands. And, and, and earlier before the show, you, you suggested that we, we should uh, try a couple of the other classics. Yeah, I think have. that's just the idea is like really, you know. There's a reason that these are classics. You know, they've yeah. tested. But what, what are some of the other ones? You mentioned a few earlier. West Mall. I mean, that's the, one of the first things that comes to mind if we're talking about classic Belgian styles, um, which we have a couple now. West Mall, yeah, absolutely. The Rocheforts, you know, again, Schneider. I mean, that's a German brewery, but all of these that have been around for so long. And, you know, they're not boring. They're exquisite to get that kind of consistency and that depth of flavor over and over and over is really tough. So then, so Merchant Van, you guys, how, how many Trappist beers do you have? We have three Trappist beers out of the 11 that exist right now. So we have Orval, obviously, uh, West Mall, which we're just talking about, and then uh, Rochefort, which is one of the smallest ones. And at Warren, have you been to, are those breweries, can we you visit those all. breweries? So what's it like? <laughs> yeah. Tell us about going to West Mall. Well, West Mall is uh, particularly good because we were guided by Tony, what was his name? Our brother at West Mall? Uh, uh, West Mall? Took us to, it wasn't Brother Paul, right? I, uh, I don't recall. Brother John, was it? John, I think, I think that's it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that and also, oh, wow, Chimay, we've been to Walt. And the, the point of it is we go in the back. We're allowed to see the libraries, not just where they make the beer, but the refectories where people pray. Because uh, the whole thing about Trappist, I don't think anybody mentioned it, is that half Part of being Trappist is half the proceeds that you take in from this stuff goes to charity. Yeah, and uh, one visit that sticks out for me was uh, Rochefort is very hard to get into. Um, 
They don't do tours very often, but uh, one year we have actually been there twice, uh, once in the tasting room, and the second time it was after a fire they had in the during the winter. They were actually a part of their brewery uh, caught fire. They had to do some rebuilding, and I think they were a little more open to the public, and they invited us in. They actually invited us into one of the services in the chapel, which was pretty cool. One time they wouldn't even let, let women on the premises, but we had a number of women in our group, and we all went into the chapel and did a service with the monks, which was very cool. Wow. And did you get to try the July 2014 Orval? I, I did. Yeah, I, it's yeah. funny. It's it is there is a difference. I mean, it's not that much longer, mm-hmm. but you know, it's a lot less floral to me. It's a lot drier. Um, it's kind of there's a, f- a different kind of funk, which I can't explain. Almost like a nuttier um, <laughs> cheesecloth kind of funk yeah. to it. But mm-hmm. again, it just continues to change, and I've yet to have a bad version, even if it's not stored properly. Well, one of the classic things about Belgian beer, I think, in particular, as well as in general, is that it's such a collection of absolutely unique tastes. We don't have a lot of people copying other people. And uh, amongst the Trappists, very little, I, I wouldn't say there's any imitation going on. No, n- not really. Uh, from what I was told and made to understand was that um, Trappist breweries try to stay away from making a style that's very similar to uh, one that's already being made. The exception seems to be um, seems to be, or they relabel what they call it. Uh, Chimay has a Chimay Red, which most people would consider uh, style-wise a double. But West Mall has the double, which you know is pretty much the quintessential example of that. And then uh, quadruples, which are just another name for a big, strong Belgian dark beer. And you know, Roche, Rochefort has ten, West Leveren has twelve. Uh, uh, I believe La Trappe has quadruples. So you know, they do stumble into each other a little bit. That's going to happen. I mean, Michael, talking about different Trappers, you guys have an Austrian Trappers brewery, don't you? We do indeed. And uh, what's it called? Eingazel? Uh Yes, Stift Engelsel. I had for Lent. I was lucky enough to get a keg of your Gregorius. That's right. Which really blew me away. There was there was fruit. It was it, it, was that a, a, a quadruple? No, that the that brewery approaches their um, their brewing process. They really, it's very new to the Trappist book. I want to say, I'm just pulling the straws here, but I think it was four years ago that they really started brewing. Maybe five. Um, so when they set up uh, their brewery, they really wanted to distinguish themselves from the Belgians in general. Um, so they didn't want to be brewing any triples or doubles, uh, trying to brew something that had its own Germano-Austrian identity to it, and also incorporate some elements to their, of, excuse me, from their own uh, monastery into their beers. Uh, so they ferment with a. I always screw this up. I think the primary fermentation is with an Alsatian wine yeast. And the secondary fermentation in the bottle is with a Trappist beer yeast. Um, and for the, instead of using candy sugar, uh, for both the primary fermentation and the secondary bottle refermentation, they use honey, which they get from bees that they keep at the monastery. Um, so, yeah, the Gregorius, and specifically, they call it a dark ale, um, and it's uh, about 9%. It's a little drier because honey in general is, um, has a lot of simple sugars in it, which are very fermentable. Uh, candy sugar tends to leave a little more residual uh, sweetness, 
which is kind of an exception with Orval Pretanomyces is a really robust tea. I'm just smiling when you tell me about this brewery. <laughs> and and um, Warren, you lit up when I said Stift Anigazal. Have you been there? Or do you know? Do you know about the, no, the brewery? No, I've, I've not been to it, but I've had both of their beers, and they are quite. Well, wonderful and unique. The Gregorius, it, it was my find what, of What's Lent. the name of the other? The, the other is the Benno, uh, which is a, their blonde ale. Same, um, same idea, though it doesn't use any dark malts. I think it comes in at about 6%. But it, it's what I love about doing this, that, that you gave me one keg of Gregorius during Lent, and that was my find of, of the whole season. So thank you, man. You're very welcome, Jimmy. <laughs> and any any uh, special Trappist beers out there that, that you want to give a shout-out to? Well, you know, yeah, it's funny. I The first time I was in Belgium, I, you know, long overnight flight, wake up, get in, take the train to Ghent, this whole long thing, and sit down in Max's, uh, Max's in Ghent, which, in my opinion, the best waffle in the entire country. I put my money on it, and it was the waffle and a West Mall double. And again, you know, that first first thing, first beer in Belgium, experience, everything, and it's just like... I'll never forget it. And we have that here. It's just an, it's such an easy beer. Shall we? Yeah. I think we shall. That's How about the waffles, too? That sounds yeah, good. It sure does. No need yeah. for a bottle opener on this one. <laughs> All right. And, and a little more about Merchant Devin, because tell us who the founder was. You know, um, Sure. Uh, <clears throat> well, one of your guys just retired. Uh, Joe Lipa. Joe Lipa. We had him on retirement. About five and a half years ago. I, I don't want to get in trouble on that one. Semi-retirement. No, we've, we've had your, the Sam Smith on a few times, Mr. Sam That's Smith correct. the Fifth. Well, uh, Merchant of Inn was That's the first time we've ever, we've ever really talked about trap. Sure. Uh, Merchant of Inn is a specialty beer importer. Uh, uh, started uh, doing their uh, due diligence uh, of bringing in uh, fantastic European beers in uh, 1978. was founded by Charles Finkel and Ann Finkel. Uh, Charles Finkel came from a wine background, uh, but, uh, you know, fell in love with the notion of all these uh, fantastic family-owned breweries that were Michael Jackson was writing about. He so, was the first guy to bring Michael Jackson. And he, exactly. So he, he contacted Michael Jackson, brought him to the United States to talk about uh, all these breweries. And, and then subsequently, Michael Jackson with, helped Charles Finkel uh, get in contact and, and start the process of bringing these breweries. So we started off with Sam Smith, uh, then Linda Mintz, and it's worked down. Uh, and we carry uh, 10 breweries, uh, including Iyengar, Chiquare House out of Scotland, uh, three Trappist breweries that I mentioned before, uh, Linda Mintz, uh, Iyengar, I might have mentioned it, uh, Pincus out of Germany. Pincus uh, Muller, yeah. Yeah, which is a fantastic family-owned so brewery. The first organic brewery, right? First organic brewery and uh, family-owned. They have a fantastic pub in uh, Munster and uh, fantastic people. Uh, so, and then Green's... Munster uh, Altbier. Uh, the alt beer, yeah, monster alt beer, <laughs> monster alt beer, which is alt beer is a very unique uh, style of beer, which is uh, really owned by Dusseldorf, I would say. Uh, but Munster, Munster had uh, its own style of that uh, beer, which means old. Uh, no. And you guys have such great stuff going back. But what Tony said, so Tony. Uh, when did you guys start Elstree News? 20-something years uh, ago? Yeah, uh, 1992, as a matter of fact. Our first trip to Belgium was in 1996. And, so you uh, were there with the, in the early days of Michael Jackson coming to America. And then tell us more. Yeah, so well, so he, you say Merchant Event started bringing he, the, his he, beers over? He definitely preceded. We uh, worked with a guy in New Jersey. His name was Richie Stolars, who was one of the first guys to sell, like Sam Smith's. He, he worked for a beer distributor, but he also had a beer club called uh, Beers International. And uh, he used to do tours with this one guy, and um, we, we now use the same guy, um, 
uh, Greg Dennis from Short Hills Tours. And uh, Richie is no longer with us, but he was really a pioneer in uh, selling Merchant Van products in New Jersey. And um, the first tour we took was not with Greg to uh, Belgium. In fact, it was with Greg. We did not have enough people for Greg to come along with us. So he just made the itinerary, booked all the hotels, the buses, and we were 12 rookies in Belgium. And we made all the mistakes. But it was a lot of fun. And uh, now we do it every year professionally. And when did Warren start going with you? He was going on his own, but... 2000? Around about 2000. 99, 2000. Somewhere like at that, that time, we got lost in Antwerp, I believe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to give a shout-out to you guys. I mean, we were, by, by drinking Merchant Devin beers and talking about some of the classics, it, it echoes back to you guys, you know, starting out early 90s. And, and Warren, you've been beer drink of the year now, <laughs> lifetime from Wine Coop Brewing. And, yeah, uh, it's Michael, gonna ch- it's going to change at the Great American Beer Festival. We, we are, I think, going to find another one somewhere. You'll have to give it up. But Michael, uh, the last beer you have, we'll room. pop this while, while we close out. You brought another beer that you said is inspired by Orval. Yeah, well, actually, this one isn't specifically inspired uh, by Orval like the Ducato was, but I thought it fit in well with uh, Orval in general. I mean, the scope for this beer was to try to brew um, a farmhouse style, very reminiscent of Belgian styles. Um, It's from the brewery called Lover Beer. They're from Mm. northwest uh, Italy, just outside of Torino. Uh, Walter Louvier is uh, is the brewmaster there. This um, this beer is called the Selva Acidula del Louvier, which means the wild sour of the workman, essentially. So let's pop um, that. We're, we're going to be yeah. drinking that as as we close that out. Sounds like a haiku. <laughs> this is haiku. Tony Tony got the flute ready. <laughs> we're going to do a little. Th- just thank you, everybody. Um, I'll just give a few shout outs of upcoming events. If, if you're around this week, luckily, uh, Warren Montero and his lovely friend Holly will be playing piano at Jimmy's Number Forty Three a few nights. And Tony Forder's got uh, this coming Friday, April first, is Pints and Pianos. Uh, it's going to be a pretty neat night. Thank you, Tony, for doing that. April 3rd, uh, we're kicking off a, a, a brunch series called Biscuits And, and I know our, our Maggie with the buddy Eddie are a big part of that. Um, New York City Hot Sauce Expo is coming up. Highly recommend you check that out, what we did with uh, Craft Beer, and how we're doing with uh, Indie Hot Sauces. And uh, Tony, he's going to play a little more tunes for us. Thanks, everybody, for joining me here. Thanks to our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors, who helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to Dave Ann. Michael, Tony, and Warren for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Justin and Maggie, to our engineer, David. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Yeah. Cheers. Woo. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.